0: This is Real World Product Management. Hello, everyone. This is yet another episode of uh, Real World Product Management. And I have another guest for you guys today is Kaushal Vyas. Kaushal, could you you please introduce yourself? Tell us a bit more of uh, what you did and what you're doing right now.
1: Hey, hi. Uh, So my name is Kaushal. I'm joining today from London, which is where I've been living for the past few years. I am originally from India. Some of my interests include uh, behavioral economics, international music and cinema, mindfulness and playing cricket. Professionally, I'm currently leading product growth and monetization at a company called Pocket. Uh, Pocket is a mobile banking product for the financially underserved and it comes with a contactless MasterCard. I've been at Pocket for just about a couple of months, uh, but over the over the past few years, I've been uh, lucky to have led various successful products. My, uh, my first product management role was with a kid's TV app called Hopster. I was the first product manager there. And you know, one of the highlights of my time there was, was that during all the years that I was the product manager. The app was recognized with uh, best of 2014, best of 2015, and best of 2016 titles on the on the Apple App Store, which was which was quite an uh, interesting achievement for a small team based out of London. Um, after that, I spent some time with a company called Gamesys, who who are an online gambling product company. I was looking after a product called called Unicorn uh, Unicorn Apps which was uh, a large platform product. And uh, my time over here was also interesting in that um, I worked with a a really large uh, team of about 30 people and we were split into four different product squads, all working on the same product. After that, I spent some time in the the B2B space. I was with a company called Global App Testing who who were a crowdsourced QA testing company and uh you know i was looking after the supply side of the product um and uh yeah beyond that i i i recently moved into fintech with, with with a company called pocket and today i'm i'm happy to share some of my experiences here with uh with vlad
0: cool thank you and uh my apologies for mangling the name i'm, I'm horrible i uh, know <laughs> that's <laughs> I'm fine. horrible with names you mentioned that with your uh, first engagement your first gig as a product manager um, you work with uh, you work with the kids app, uh, and mm. my understanding is that uh, the user and the customer in that scenario are quite different. The customer uh, yeah. usually the distinction that I make is the customer is, is is the one who's paying for it, and the user is the one who ends up using it. So your customer is an adult, and your user is a kid. Uh, yes. How did you guys how did you guys approach that in the B two C market? I I, I see this constantly in my daily life with the B two B products, and mm-hmm. and it's normal. So, how did you guys tackle it uh, in the B two C space?
1: Yeah, um, so that's a great question. So, I'll I'll start by just giving a very brief context of of what the company tried to do. Um, so, so Hopster is is UK's top grossing and top ranked kids TV app. the 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 vision of the company was to make screen time smart for kids. Uh, traditional television is is you know littered with ads and is is quite passive and uh, you know hopster wanted to give parents a better option and the way we we would do that is by having some of the best video content from around the world and pair that with with various learning games and storybooks right so that's the context now coming to your question so you know uh, in the in the early days of of, of hopster uh, the app experience was designed around uh, a 2 to 4 year old and chances are that um, a kid that young is is probably uh, not able to read um, or not able to make sense out of language and uh, so so the app experience was was you know without any text without any sort of information and it was de- it, it was designed as an intuitive experience yeah. now as a result of that what what had happened was uh, you know the the app's abandon rate was quite high and what that means is um about half the users who installed the app from the store would not come to the app again and that was that that was a waste of our acquisition money basically and uh, you know what we realized was that the app's first time user is a parent so it is a parent who would install the app from the store and do a sanity check before the parent would hand the app over to the kid and because we did not do a good job of onboarding the first time user we were seeing a lot of them just abandon the app and so that is when we realized that you know we we need a different approach yes ki- uh, you know the app ha- the the app's main user is a kid but a parent is an equally important user because it is the parent who makes the decision to to buy the app and 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 um you know hand it over to the child so uh, our approach to this challenge was was around building a timeline right so uh, we would we would um think about all the all the touch points with the user and the customer and sequence them and uh, you know uh, so the first time user is a parent um uh, chances are the second user is a child. Um, the third or the fourth touchpoint could again be a parent, you know, if they are renewing a subscription or if, yeah, if they they want their child to explore some new content. So what we did uh, to alleviate the, the abandon rate problem was basically uh, build an onboarding experience that would give parents the confidence to hand the app over to their child and uh, you know we interviewed um, some parents around what uh, what they would like to see um before they would trust the product with their child and uh, you know a few things came out like uh, parents suggested that they wanted to understand what was free and what was paid in the product so the product was a was a freemium product so some content was free some was paid and parents wanted to know how that worked Um, parents wanted to feel that you know the offering is 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 safe it is curated it is um, it has the kind of certifications that kids apps should have and um, so yeah like the the, you know the, the onboarding experience was was around trust around giving them the confidence around explaining them what the offering was and in addition to this we you know we we also wanted to encourage the parent to create an account so that we could we could get them into our CRM and this was simply a business um, sort of objective around this because you know if, if the parent is not engaged the first time around chances are it it, it, it is really hard to engage them second or the third time around So, yeah, like the onboarding experience was around uh, giving the parent the confidence that the product is safe for their child and also encouraging them to create an account in the um, in the app. So, yeah, so our first prototype with onboarding addressed both of these concerns and uh, we saw that um, the abandoned rate of the app came down uh, significantly so it was halved. So earlier, the abandoned rate was at 50%. Um, after um, the first iteration, it came down to somewhere around 30 or 25%. And and then we kept iterating over it. Uh, eventually, um, it came down to about 10%. But yeah, so, so this hopefully gives some idea about how we thought about, um, you know, the user and the customer being different and uh, designing the app experience based on, who is engaging with the product at which um, touchpoint so this is interesting
0: thank you thank you for sharing this is really cool as you keep saying they're different but they're both engaged i wonder in um in the current terms uh i i don't want to really bring up specific frameworks but if you've uh if you if you've used any specific approaches um i don't know uh empathy maps journey maps personas jobs to be done um or you just kind of intuitively built that the timeline with touch points
1: yeah um, that's an interesting one i guess i guess um you know at at various points in my time at hopster we've we've used uh, like some of the frameworks that you mentioned um jobs to be done is certainly one of the more um popular frameworks around around product building the product for the right um user and, and and you know helping them helping them do the right job with the product i'm I'm trying to think if if there is like a, a, a singular um framework that could that i could i could talk about here but yeah like from what what i remember it was it was like a a, a mix of of using user personas um jobs to be done and and the timeline based approach um at, at various points in time because um you know like the onboarding um case study that i just talked about is is one of the many other use cases uh that we designed the product for and uh, for for different use cases we we would have used um different frameworks um so yeah like there there wasn't like a one one size fits all framework that that we were using across um across all of the touch points across the
0: whole product right and that that's 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 a great answer thank you Uh, it's it's, it has to be the right tool for the right job you can you can't really say yes this is the only thing we're using Hmm. (laughs) all right cool um so once you've left that company uh you transitioned to Gamesys, the the online gambling platform
1: yes and
0: i have i actually have a bunch of questions about this one um one is, I wonder how did you approach a uh, platform as a product How did the whole concept work um was that an internal platform? was that a platform you guys offered to the market um Can you elaborate on that a little more
1: Sure um, so I'm again gonna start by giving a little bit of context around mm-hmm. around the company. So Gamesys is a is a leading international online gaming operator. It's it's one of the one of the larger ones in the UK. It it operates brands such as Virgin Casino, Virgin Games, Jackpot Joy, Hard Bingo, and 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 some others. I was a part of a department called Player Services, and and Player Services, as the name suggests, uh, looked at everything outside of the games themselves. So um, uh, placing bets or payment gateways or promotions or uh, hybrid apps, load times, registration, et cetera, right? And the product I was looking after was called 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 Unicorn, Unicorn Apps and it was essentially a brand new platform for the company. And what I mean by that is, is that, uh, you know, the company had been around for a good 10, 15 years by then. And its main products were still a desktop first uh were still desktop first products. And and this was 2017. Uh and if you're if you're not mobile first, then then you're probably not gonna survive for long, especially in the B2C market. Um so my product was the company's foray into the mobile platform. And uh, it was also a platform for a quote-unquote platform in, in, a, in, in a different sense of the word for the rest of the company's products to plug into. So um, yes, there was a front-end aspect to it, but there was also a back-end aspect to it in in that uh, a lot of the company's other services such as payment gateways and uh, KYC and promotions and, and recommendation engines and everything, it would plug into that product, which would uh, then be showcased to the user on the front end so it was platform in 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 like a couple of ways one was it was a replacement for the desktop platform and it was also a place for the rest of the company's products to plug into
0: let me rephrase my question a little bit uh you yeah. were still you're still uh product managing that platform yes okay so and, and this is this is um just the Give you a reason uh for this question yeah uh, this is some something that uh, a lot of companies are struggling with is uh coming up with a rationale, why should we call the platform a product, and what's in it for us? I mean it's a platform it's not like uh, uh, you know a product that we can offer or package and sell it's our internal platform kind of like a CRM and by, by the description, what you said is it, it, it feels again, I don't know enough to really call names here, but it feels like it's a universal kind of like a business business processes boss or, or mm. data boss it feels like it. I'm not saying I, I, I understand what it is. I don't have enough uh, data to go on, but sure. um, it it just feels like it is a, platform but not a product how did the company rationalize that hey let's treat this as a product how did that happen
1: that's that's an interesting question i think i think um well, yeah yeah, yeah. I, I guess your question is also about the semantics of of what is a product versus what is a platform yeah and that too <laughs> thank um, you so in 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 you know the the companies model, revenue model, or or rather the company's business model was, um, you know, having a solid white label gambling platform that could be spun off as, you know, uh, a custom made branded uh, product for for brand A, and could also be used, you know, you you could apply uh, another branded skin to it for for another brand and so on so i guess i guess it it was a platform in the sense that it was it was it, it was helping all of the other um microservices integrate with uh with something tangible and uh the company's rational around calling it a product and 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 you know having a product squad and product management uh, resources um dedicated to it was was simply because it was important for the company to to make um steady progress on that front uh, simply because uh, the, the the internet landscape was changing right um Dest, a, a lot of desktop-first technologies, like the the the, the product was um, product used Flash, so the desktop product used Flash uh, quite extensively, and uh, you're probably aware that Flash died um, a terrible death over the last few years, where different like all all the mainstream browsers have now. St- stopped either stopped supporting or provide a very limited support to flash and uh, so it was you know it was it was in the company's interest to to have um a a different product out there which could become um the company's main um product uh which we could sell to other brands so so yeah like it, it you know it 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 made a lot of business sense for the company to to get this product up and running in a matter of a few months uh, which is why um it was it was given the title of a product uh, but in the pure in in the pure um, semantic sense it is it is it it was effectively a platform it was not necessarily uh building new kinds of uh interfaces it was just giving um some of the old um interfaces uh, a, a new um, place to 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 be visible if that okay. makes it if that makes sense
0: it, may, it it yes thank you for explanation it definitely makes a lot more sense once you started talking about platform being a, a white label capability uh sure. for for to to be spun off for other brands and uh for other microservices to plug in it started sound it yes it did sound like uh it it has it it, it has all the rights to be called right. uh, a, a product uh so yeah definitely makes sense thank you for elaborating it, cool. it, it it paints a better picture now in my at least in my head awesome uh, the, the explanation uh okay so you've mentioned that's that's the place where you had 30 developers and you were split into the multiple teams you call them i think you call them squads yeah uh, to work on this one product so yeah. that's another interesting challenge that i've seen uh, in multiple engagements where product is large enough to warrant large development team but then you can't really manage the 30 40 50 people you have to break them up into uh product teams or or agile teams however you want to call it sure and challenges that I've seen and and this is this is kind of the question to you what have you seen on your end my my from my what I've seen on my end was it's hard to come to a certain level of understanding, especially when teams are both very uh, either all teams are very innovative and uh, trying to get things done better. Uh, mm-hmm. So, they, they look for opportunities in all the areas, not specifically the areas that were assigned to them. And they they it, it, they have good intentions, right? They try to do better. Or sure. teams are very passive and they only do what they were supposed to do. They're not looking for ways to improve things. They're not looking for opportunities to innovate and improve. And it all falls on the product manager to kind of run around and and, and tell everybody what to do and sure. uh, do all the orchestration. So what was what is this, what is your story what what was the situation uh with those teams
1: it was um yeah so because um so as i mentioned in in my previous response because it was a, a, a very important product for the company and it was quite a large initiative within the company um we we had a huge backlog and uh, this also meant that we we, we needed the the all, all the technical muscle um all, all the resources we could and so so the 30 people we had included developers designers qa uh, people from insights business analysts and product managers and uh, you know it's like having a single product squad of these many people is is basically not not practical because it it, it makes all of the it, it makes the the team unwieldy like having meetings with everyone uh involved uh coming to to a consensus is, is going to be hard so it was just for it was purely for practical purposes that we were split into smaller squads and each of these smaller squads about was about seven or eight people and but all of us all of these squads were working on the same product Uh, but because we had split into smaller groups and because um, because each of these groups had their own ceremonies um, you know a couple of them used scrum a couple of them used kanban uh, they had their own retrospectives etc 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 it seemed that we we were working in a in a fragmented way and uh, we were sometimes pulling the team in in opposite directions as we were not fully aligned we would uh, as i said we would have individual backlog grooming sessions uh we there, there there wasn't a complete sense of ownership like if if a bug would come up it it would take me about about a day or so to figure out which squad out of the four was accountable for that bug and who who would be the best person to fix that so so to summarize the challenges were around alignment uh ownership and 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 generally speaking a cohesion um that was lacking among the squads now of course you know as a pm this was making my my job really hard so i wanted to get around uh, these issues so so myself um a couple of the tech leads and the and the delivery manager uh we 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 had a discussion around what we could do and a few things came out, right? Um, so so this was the, as I said, the problems we were trying to tackle were alignment, a uh, sense of ownership, and a sense of cohesion. The way we went about um, alignment uh, was was by creating a shared vision, right? So uh, I wanted us all to define the North star that would guide everything we do. Going forward, so I gathered everyone in a workshop for a couple of hours and uh, got every one of them to write their views on what we were trying to do on posted notes and i you know I wanted to ensure that everyone was involved in that um um I would encourage everyone to think about the why the quote unquote why the pu- the purpose. And, uh, you know, like the, what came out of that was, um, was like, a a singular statement, uh, which meant, um, uh, we want to help our customers quickly find, discover and place bets on the games they love. Right. So this, I mean, to an outsider like you, this may not be the most relevant thing, but yeah, like this statement gave us a sense of uh, purpose and this statement sort of um was unique for all of us so all the four squads would look at this statement for guidance and uh, on the back of this on the back of this uh, vision workshop i then had another workshop where we talked about our success metrics so we we we've defined what our why is we now wanted to define our what, so so for for us, basically, uh, we were looking for something that that would tell us that we were making progress on the why. And uh, so 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 the KPI, the success metric, was was around time to wager. And uh, what this meant is, like from from the point that a user logs into the product how long does it take for them to place a bet? And the lower this KPI, the lower the time it takes for the user to wager, the faster it is for the user to find the game. And that was our definition of success. So we knew our why, we knew our what, and and this uh, sort of guided everything that we were doing. So earlier, the teams were moving in opposite directions. Like some of them were... Uh, some of them wanted us to pursue initiative A. Uh, another squad was was quite passionate about initiative B. Um, but now, now that we had we, we'd all sort of agreed on, you know, guys, this is what we are trying to do. It gave me a, a reason to, to sort of argue with them. Um, and, you know, like, so if a certain team would say that we are passionate about initiative A, uh, the next um, sort of counterpoint to that was... Hang on, is this really taking us along the lines of where we want to be? So so yeah, like this this helped the the the, the vision workshop and the 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 success metric workshop it it helped um, all of our conversations around alignment. Now, um, the second bit was was you know around creating a sense of ownership.
0: I'm sorry. Hold on one second. Uh, yeah, I, I want you to continue, but I have a question in regards to your um, yeah go uh, on. to the alignment part. So you've created the uh, shared vision. You've created the shared success metrics for the whole product. So you would have all four teams kind of uh, driving towards the same direction. Uh yeah. How long did it take them to agree with you or to agree uh, across amongst themselves? To these common metrics was that just one workshop, or did it take some time for them to come to kind of come to grips with reality
1: It, um, I, I wish it, it it was just like this these couple of meetings that that you <laughs> know we all agreed on on what what we wanted to do, but yeah, the reality was uh, was different um, the, the, out of the workshops like the, the the main objective of the workshop was to was to get people thinking right get people mm-hmm, thinking mm-hmm. about a single question uh, even if our thoughts were different even if some some of the team members thought differently about about the the vision or the success metric that's fine but at least they started thinking about it and um it it took me like at least 2 to 3 weeks to sort of um negotiate um around around these two things so you know like it's it it it's really important for us to get the 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 vision statement um clear in everyone's head in everyone's head and uh, you know so which is why the the wording was quite important um so yeah like it it did take me uh, a good few days uh, or a couple of weeks to to sort of have everyone agree on a singular statement there certainly were um differences in the way we thought um about what we were trying to do and uh, the workshop simply brought all of that to surface and it 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 allowed us to start having a conversation around around this topic okay
0: uh before before we continue one more uh, question that i had uh, what would you say was the top? What's the top contention point or top tangent point? So, so in other words, you know, there's usually like minor things that can be either completely thrown out or just mm. kind of a compromise on, or you know, you can't reach a compromise on something. But there would be one or two uh, pain points uh, with each team that they really take a hard stand on. So, no, this is really important to me. I don't wanna compromise on it, but you know, I mean I do wanna compromise on it, but I wanna I wanna sell it really hard. I yeah, want to, sure, sure. So what do you what do you, what 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 were the points uh without going too much into details, what were the points that teams didn't really want to bulge on until the last moment?
1: Yeah, so if if I remember correctly, um like one of the contention points or rather one of the main contention points was around what we should commit to as our our success metric um as i said earlier because it was a platform product a lot of other products sort of plugged into uh plugged into our product and we would serve the information we received from 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 all of those uh, uh other products and so, in some way, our product relied on the information we we would get from them, and it relied on the performance of those all of those uh, products. So, if if our KPI was say you know uh, time to wager or how long does it take for the user to place a bet from the time they log in, it uh, it covers a lot of other things that happen between those two milestones, and for some of those things, uh, our, we would rely on someone else's product. And, you know, our performance was at the behest of their performance. So uh, I remember that some teams were were hesitant around committing to this as the KPI, uh, simply because we would be held accountable for this. And, uh, you know, if... Not ever, if we did not have a hundred percent control on what we are trying to impact, then is it really worth committing to that? And uh, so yeah, like that was that that was one difficult conversation, or rather, a few difficult conversations that I had to I had to have with the team.
0: It makes perfect sense to me. Uh, I, I I can see why they wouldn't want to commit to that, but I see why yeah uh, as a product manager you would have to. <laughs> true so i i definitely understand it okay cool thank you that was that was really interesting so you have two more left you have um ownership and cohesion
1: yes so as i said earlier you know um the ownership issue was mostly around you know if if an issue came up with a certain feature it, it took me a while to figure out who would be accountable to 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 fix that and uh you know, I like to think that that engineers are, are highly skilled problem solvers. So, so I like to start by defining the problem or the opportunity instead of instead of my saying, you know, here is a feature that we want to build. Um, I prefer I prefer presenting the problem first, saying, you know, um, X percent of our users are are, are facing ABC problems. And we want to pursue, we want to explore solutions to these problems. So, so, you know, once I've, once I've defined the high level problem, uh, the solution exploration, um, could be a team effort. So the solution does not necessarily have to come from the designer or the product manager or, or someone high up the ladder. Um, you know, if the team is invested, I think, um, if the team is is involved in the solution making or solution design process um, there there is an automatic sense of ownership uh, like engineer like if if an engineer is involved in in saying you know what the best way to solve so and so problem is such and such then if in future an issue comes up with with that solution um, the engineer is is much more likely to to sort of own up to that and 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 find better ways to fix that problem so so yeah like the way we uh went around creating a sense of ownership was um was mostly around how we would present um new feature requests as uh problems whose solutions needed to be found out and uh, so that was around creating a sense of ownership um and around creating a sense of cohesion we um, you know, we, a couple of, a couple of things, um, come to my mind. Um, one was having, a a group backlog grooming session where, uh, instead of having like individual backlog grooming sessions, we would have, um, a, a, a single backlog grooming session where every, uh, every squad, um, or at least one member of every squad would be invited, um, and uh, you know we would talk about uh, up and coming features which we would like to um, explore. And uh, what this helped with was well, was that every team was aware of what was um, what was going to be worked on in the in the in the near future, and by what team so so that was one and the other was having a, a group retrospective so so this is where we would discuss uh, process improvements across the entire group and not within the individual squad so so yeah like having a group backlog grooming session and having group uh, retrospective sessions we were able to generate visibility about uh, what the entire group was going to be doing and, and also discuss, oh, and it also gave a forum for everyone to talk about how we could improve as a, as a, as a group um, rather than individual squads. Um, so yeah, like in, in summary, uh, the way we went about solving some of these problems were step one, create a shared vision. Um, step two, have a sense of ownership. And step three, involve everyone um, in, you know, in a group retrospective and a group backlog grooming session, to have uh, visibility and a sense of cohesion.
0: Cool, thank you. I might have missed this um, in 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 your answer, but did you end up with the same cadence, same ceremonies across all squads, or they kept whatever they were using, just came to the uh, they, c- agile ceremonies for the whole they, group?
1: Uh, the the the. Uh, the existing ceremonies that the squads had, uh, were not affected. Um, because they, they were, they were anyway important. They were anyway required rather. And, uh, but because we did not have a forum where the entire group was meeting, we, we needed that forum for visibility and for discussing process improvements.
0: Okay. All right. That makes sense. Okay. I mean, I, I, in full transparency, I kind of expected you guys to come up with a common, uh, cadence, yeah. common uh, framework, uh, common kind of agile approach. It, it's something we, in our organization, are advocating for because it, not it, it not necessarily um, improves cohesion. Well, it, it actually does, but that's not even the main goal. The main goal is predictability of the results, uh, and uh, kind of alignment across uh. Uh, across multiple teams working on the same uh, on the same product or in the same project or within the same uh, initiative within the same work stream, if you will, and uh, f- in our in our model in 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 our governance model, everybody's using whichever m- system, w- whichever framework, whichever agile approach they like. We don't. Basically, we're not going to tell you which one to use. Just as long as you stick to one, everybody should be using one because it (laughs) it it improves predictability and improves the quality of uh, overall delivery. But it's interesting to see you guys having different experience. And my understanding is uh, because you didn't do that, it that doesn't necessarily it doesn't automatically mean you failed, right? You still you still were successful even without instituting the common agile approach across different teams
1: yeah i guess i guess it's um there is there's is only so many battles that, that 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 a product manager can can fight right and it was really important for me to to fight the important battles um so yeah like there is there was a you 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 get some and you give some right uh yes. I, I wanted yes. to get a few things done in the way i saw fit And in return, of course, uh, you know, the team deserved to do a few things the way they wanted to do them.
0: Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, And and, and again, in in the same full transparency, I've seen teams not having the same frameworks, not even the same cadence, uh, but still kind of moving forward uh, because they had different maturity levels and and that's perfectly fine in my book. I mean, I'm not saying they have to, uh, but it looks you know from overall experience it looks like this uh this is a better approach but i understand you i understand the ways you have to fight your battles and i'm 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 with you on that one uh believe me i know what you're talking about okay all right cool so moving forward uh let's uh talk about the third or the other engagement that you had Mm -hmm. with the b2b company that you mentioned yeah, again again I like how you give the uh, overall background first and then we dive into details so sure. I'm just going to let you do that uh, it looks it, it works well for me so it should work well for audience and okay. then we'll dive a little deeper
1: Yeah so um so yeah this this is about my time at Global App Testing and and Global App Testing is a is a crowd testing platform our our clientele included customers like Facebook Google Microsoft Spotify, at some point, Shell, GE, and so on, and and what we do is we we help these brands test their products out in the real in in the real world with real users, um, in in various parts of the world. So it's a it's a classic marketplace like model where uh, you have a demand side and a supply side. On the demand on the demand side, we had these big brands who need to test their international products out in the wild and on the supply side we had a crowd of professional testers around the around the world and uh, uh if i remember correctly your question is about uh, the challenges like the challenges that are relevant to product management um, in this setup right
0: correct yes uh since you've said uh, yeah full remote setup b2b and this is before the pandemic so how did you guys do that
1: yeah yeah so um So working at, at, at global app testing was an interesting experience in terms of orchestrating distributed teams. We, we had product sales, marketing, and finance teams in London and uh, all the other verticals like tech QA operations, data science were in, were based in different parts of the world. Uh, even within my product squad we had we had to work with at least at least three time zones and and this made it a little bit tricky for us to move together at at first now the challenges were were primarily primarily around engagement within the team it was it was it was hard to have live discussions it often happened that it's it's lunchtime for some devs uh, when you want to discuss something important, and it's you know it's it's yeah it's it's not lunchtime in in London. Um, another challenge was that it was it was hard to generate team chemistry because we were not co collocated, uh, and needless to say that uh, English was the second language; it was it's it's third for me, and and this didn't really help at the at the start so our, our meetings uh, early on they were quite dry um you know with with little to no participation from the team and uh, this led to again a lack of ownership uh, slower velocity and 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 communication gaps so in order to to come around some of these problems we we made a simple, simple start, we, we had the team members lead the recurring meetings like stand ups or retrospectives. And uh, after some time, like after, a f- you know, a couple of weeks or so, the team members who were leading these meetings, they started seeing that that everyone else responded well to their instructions during the meeting. And, and that gave them the confidence to participate. Um, the, the, the concerns they had about, about English being their second language early on, they were, um, uh, they were less of a concern now because they saw that they were able to successfully lead some of these, uh, meetings.
0: So allow me to interrupt you for a second. Yep. Was that just one appointed person specifically, uh, per team, or did you rotate that facilitator role across different team members to kind of see who would, who would do it better?
1: it was uh, so I, I like to think that that uh, all of these groups are like especially the stand-ups and the retrospectives they are for the team uh, rather than for the product management person or or someone else and i personally think it's it's great if the team uh, volunteers to 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 host um, any of these meetings and uh, but in our case what was happening was uh, it they were being orchestrated by the product manager and uh, as I said, it wasn't helping. So um, we, we we started going around the team. Um, so it would be a, a single person leading the standups or the retrospectives for for a week um, or a sprint, and then uh, they would pass it on to someone else uh, for the next sprint.
0: So rotating. Yep. Good. Yep. Thank you.
1: So yeah. So after that, we we also switched to having asynchronous communication and uh, you know async communication is when when you send a message without expecting an immediate response uh, for example you send an email i open uh, and respond to that email uh, a few hours later um and synchronous communication is is when you when you send a message and the recipient processes the information and responds immediately so in person meeting in person communication like uh, meetings are, are purely synchronous communication now um, the way this helped us was it you you, you you're probably aware that uh, engineering requires deep work right in that uh, you would want to work on 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 specific agendas for uh, unbroken uninterrupted periods of time and uh, having asynchronous communication allowed um us all to do deep work it it reduced the interruptions it gave us time to think about what question was being asked explore a response before sending it and uh you know plus because we were in different time zones async communication was was in a way inevitable um but my or the, the product management specifically saying that you know we don't need to uh, respond to questions live. I think that went a long way in in alleviating any of the concerns the team members had around around communication or, or live meetings. So so yeah, like moving from sync to async communication was uh, another thing that that helped um, our communication challenges. We then beyond that we we started having uh, virtual coffees, um, you know, with with a, with a Slack bot pairing three members of the team and scheduling a meeting for them. And uh, as if you remember, I said earlier that you know we were lacking team chemistry because we were not in the same location. So when you, when you are in the same office, you can uh, probably go out for lunch or go out for a drink after work or go out for coffee. Uh, with your colleagues and and you know you get opportunities to know your colleagues or your team members better um, so yeah which is why we started exploring having virtual coffees and uh, uh, we would we would do celebratory lunches so after launching a feature we would all have lunch on a video call together um, and talk about uh, food talk about uh, what what we we just launched and 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 we also talked about um stuff happening outside of work and uh you know all of this allowed us to know each other better and 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 helped build some sort of chemistry and uh, lastly like one of the most effective things uh that worked for us was Uh, Epic ownership or feature ownership. So we wanted to cultivate, as I said earlier, a sense of ownership and accountability in the team. And uh, we started having um, the system where we would make an engineer an owner of a feature alongside the PM. So, So this engineer would be involved in product discovery for that feature um the product discovery would be led by the pm but yeah the engineer was was um had the option to participate in that process or be present in the conversations with the stakeholders or with customers and uh, you know this made them much more engaged um and i guess i guess you know, at the end of the day the engineer is the one who is going to be building the solution and the closer the engineer is to the problem; the more effective the solution is, um, at least in my opinion. So, so yeah, like it was a mix of these things. Uh, like in in summary, you know, having having the team lead the the recurring meetings, then switching to asynchronous communication, having virtual coffees and 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 celebratory lunches and and having epic ownership um like all of, it was a combination of all of these things that uh, that helped us uh get into a good rhythm and and helped us build uh some sort of a chemistry as a team over a period of time
0: thank you that is that is really interesting i i just have a question uh, i didn't want to interrupt you but i had a question it's when when you said you had um an engineer uh, as a single, uh, as a single person, uh, being the feature owner or um, uh, participate heavily, heavily invest in uh, product discovery around that particular feature. Yeah, how did that uh, align with uh, business continuity? I mean, we're all people. We understand that engineers may come and leave. You know, people have uh, you know their problems. They may go on extended vacation or extended leave. Things happen. How would you uh, was there any backup? How would you alleviate this this risk from from a business standpoint? I need mm. uh, I need to make extensive changes to that particular feature while someone is on uh, I don't know two weeks vacation.
1: Sure, hmm. that's an interesting question. Um, we so this was this was purely um so the, so epic ownership was was um. W- we would, we would ask engineers to volunteer rather than we would rather than us saying that so-and-so engineer is the Epic owner for, uh, for this Epic or feature. And, um, uh, so, so the, the early conversation we would have with, with the squad was mostly around, um, you know, who's number one, who has the right skills, uh for this uh, required for this feature who is who is available uh, over the next uh, quarter or or uh, next uh, couple of sprints to work on this so so yeah like some of the some of the concerns around uh, ensuring that there is a continuity in um in, in that the person who is who is who's is capable of building the solution is available to build that solution uh, for a good amount of time, uh, so that 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 was um, addressed at the start. In the case where you know the, the engineer had to take a break or or uh, they leave the they left the business, if I remember, if my memory serves me right, it was the engineer would. I mean, it would it would be a standard handover process where the engineer would uh, basically work with one of the, one of their colleagues and uh, you know write up stuff that uh, that would make sense to this other colleague and and pass on the ownership to them um so yeah like it was a combination of, of 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 ensuring that the engineer is available right at the start before we begin the feature and then in case of the engineer leaving uh midway through the feature uh, it would be like a, a regular handover to to a colleague
0: uh the reason uh of- well, there are multiple reasons why I've, I was asking this question, right? Uh, but one of the things that I ha- I have experienced in some of my previous uh, jobs and engagement was that uh, there was a particular feature in a legacy product, which was the main uh, product offering of a company I was working for, and mm-hmm. there was uh, one and a half people who knew what's going on, uh, and the half of half of a person. Uh, uh, n- not, not the real half person. Obviously, right. uh, was a um, a business analyst who kind of understood the business processes and and some of the technology involved in solving for that particular uh, problem. But then there was the one engineer who built the whole thing end to end. And when that engineer, for whatever reason, became not available, I I quite honestly don't remember what happened. <laughs> right. It's just. Because uh, it was a, it was a remote development team, and I just at some point I just realized that the person is not there anymore, and I started asking questions like, "Hey, uh, we have this change coming up, and uh, we need to we need to ensure that there's a you know we can apply those changes, and we need to figure out what to do without that subject matter expert." I see. I see. Uh, yeah, it turned out that what again i don't know exactly what happened he didn't leave on good terms oh, and he was not available he was not available <laughs> for any kind of even for consulting and that became a big problem for the company because uh, they didn't have anybody else the, it, it was a legacy code and would take them i don't know two months to even figure out what's going on oh, because yeah. there was a lot of patchwork and logic on, uh business logic on top of uh technology logic uh spread across uh multiple store procedures on different databases it was it was a nightmare
1: yeah, so every time every cool. time
0: something like this pops up this this nightmare scenario immediately <laughs> comes to my head and i was like how are you guys going to deal with that
1: <laughs> uh, i mean that that does sound like a terrible uh way to to end things for for an engineer
0: it, um just sometimes it is what it is it, and again it it I, I i'm not really i don't really remember what happened and don't really care at this point i'm just saying this is the business this is the business uh, scenario that uh, whenever you are thinking about assigning responsibility, that's something that's a risk you need to alleviate somehow.
1: There, like on the back of what you just mentioned, uh, I remember that you know the the tech lead or or the architect was was always consulted on on whatever feature or or or, or solution we are building. So even if like an engineer. Uh, was the subject matter expert for a certain feature uh they would have consulted the 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 tech lead or the architect and uh you know so there was always uh another brain who who would have some context of what the solution was so so that was our like plan b if if that happened but thankfully we did not have a situation <laughs> like, like the one you mentioned
0: yep that <laughs> lucky like you All right. Uh, As we coming up to uh, coming up at the end of the hour, I have a couple of questions. Uh, They're regular kind of same thing I ask every guest on the show. And uh, I started I started offering a choice which one you want to tackle first. Um, There are two questions. One uh, is in this new world. And I remember, you know, you said that you just started a new job a few months ago. So it sounds like you started your new engagement your new job right when the pandemic hit or thereabouts uh well how so the first question is how were you affected by this new norm or this you know new situation and the second question that I always ask on this podcast is do you have any questions for me so this is your chance to turn the tables around and ask me for whatever whatever questions you have uh hopefully we're not gonna you know discuss world politics or you know how to solve the world hunger or develop a vaccine because i have no idea i'm not life science life science expert uh but something around uh product management would do nicely so either one you want to you want to tackle uh either one you you want to go with first or second let me know
1: um yeah. The second is, is, is fine. The second one is okay. Uh, the, about the first one, you know, like the, I'm, I'm just wondering if there is, um, t- yes, the crisis has had an effect on the business. I'm just wondering if, um, if I would be okay, uh, talking about it on a public forum. So if um I can I can probably speak about how it has affected the way we go about our day to day rather than the impact on the business. Um does that does that sound okay? Yeah. Yep,
0: yeah, sure. Whatever whatever again, this it's more it's more of a recurring theme. We're all living in this new world. Uh so and and, and some of the previous guests started with how they go about doing performing their job responsibilities mm. and we we always slip into you know how this affects personal life because now we are working out of our personal spaces not work spaces mm. so it's it it it's inevitably you know merge and affect each other so however you want to tackle this uh, by all means
1: yeah so so I'll I'll start by uh, start with the first question around um, how this crisis has has affected uh, day-to-day work and and product management in in general, at least for me. Yeah. So, of course, you know, a large majority of the companies have have encouraged their employees to work from home. And uh, Pocket is no exception. In fact, yeah, like we, even before the government announced lockdown, um, our company... um, internally encouraged everyone to to work from home uh if that was possible and again this this came as a little bit of surprise uh of course because there wasn't like a a, a two-week heads up that uh, that this was going to happen so uh I- initially like the first week was or rather the first 10 days or so were were, were challenging um simply because um for, for a few reasons like number one being um in the office uh, i or, or you know the designer or, or uh, some of some of my other colleagues they would they would work on like multiple screens they would have bigger screens to work with and uh, because all of a sudden we were working from home it was and not everyone had like the like a home desk or, or a home office where we would have the luxury of a larger screen so, so yeah like getting used to a smaller screen getting used to your own laptop was uh, was a little bit of a challenge uh, in the first few days beyond that um i guess i guess as as people who work in the technology space uh, working remotely is not a big issue like ever since we had outsourcing ever since there was this concept of outsourcing um you know engineers have been working remotely so that has been like for a couple of decades at least so yeah like having having meetings or having uh calls over the internet uh is not a problem at all uh, but sometimes yes like the you know when you're in the office and when when you have some of your colleagues uh sitting just across the across the hall it's quite easy to to engage them in spontaneous conversations about work and, uh, you know, like you, you have the luxury of, of using a notepad or a whiteboard to, to explain, um, you know, your, your question or your query and have a discussion around, around that diagram or, or whiteboard presentation that you've made. Um, but yeah, if when you're behind the screen, when you, when you're working remotely, you, you don't have that luxury and, uh, Yes, you have uh, you know tools like Miro and whatnot to to create like online whiteboards or or, or virtual um, uh, workshops and whatnot. Uh, but again, you need to set them up, right? You need to you need to schedule them in people's diary. You need to give people a heads up that you want to en- engage them in a conversation like that. So, so yeah, there are some natural hurdles to having spontaneous conversations uh which which does take um which does impact your productivity to an extent uh but you know rightly or wrongly we 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 can't change um we don't have a, have an, any other option right we 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 have to get used to to this new way of working at least for a few months if not more so i guess um at least my team has taken well to it. Uh, you know, our conversations over Slack or, or our video meetings or zoom or, or any other, uh, tool that we've been using, they, they, they are, they are going just fine. Uh, the people do miss having spontaneous conversations around work or, you know, even beyond work. Um, we, we we do miss uh, going out for a drink after work or or having lunches together in the office uh we sometimes have like virtual coffee sessions with with my team uh where we just talk about what's new on netflix and uh we we talk about all sorts of things uh, over there so yeah we, we we are trying to find ways in which we can engage uh more spontaneously and and talk about things outside of work um it is not the same as being in the same office it is it is certainly different but um i think i think we we've learned um how to get around them and uh, i think it has become the new normal now at least for my team or at least for me um and and, and uh, like sometimes i think uh, how it might be like getting back to to the office uh, so, so yeah, like those are some of my, my thoughts around how, how the current uh, crisis has affected, uh, day to day and, and like the work that I do.
0: I see. Thank you. That, that is interesting. Uh, we're, well, from my end, I've been working from home for the past two years outside of, just outside of the time that I am on engagement where I have to be face to face with the client. Mm. So I agree. There's nothing, uh, not much difference for me. I I was equipped even before that happened, uh, but uh, yeah, what we're seeing is actually more of a um, impact when people are sp- deliberately not setting themselves up to be w- to be able to work from home, kind of mm. making that mental um, compartmentalization, uh, working from home, w- working versus being home, where they're not working. And once this mm. pandemic hit, uh, and there are some cultural things where people not used to working from home, not because. They don't want to because they've never done it before and, you know, home is for the home.
1: True. True. Uh,
0: but uh, it's interesting because, again, as I said, I, I, this is a recurring question. I keep asking it all of my guests. Um, I keep getting different answers. I love it. Uh, so, yeah. you know, everybody's Funnily, different.
1: W- what you said did come up in one of our recent office surveys where we asked for people's thoughts on on what's working and what's not working uh, when it comes to remote work. And, there were some concerns about uh, people scheduling teams uh, sorry people scheduling meetings with their teams at outside of office hours and uh, uh, we later found out that these were people who are outside of tech at like who are not familiar to the idea of remote working so so I'm i'm sure you know like for for people who as you said it's it's a cultural thing for uh, i i think tech teams are used to this culture of of remote working and and sort of compartmentalizing their work uh, and life whereas some other departments are not um so yeah i i hear you like sometimes it does happen that um people outside of your um team uh, may not be sensitive towards how working from home might work for you versus for them
0: yep all right, cool. Thank you. That was interesting. Uh, last last thing on my list is the uh, the turn, turning of the tables. If you have any questions for me, uh, again, hopefully around product management. Uh, this is this is the chance. Uh, if you don't have any questions, that's fine too. It's it's up to you if you want to take this opportunity.
1: Yeah, uh, sure. Like so, as how do you think of of this podcast as your product? Um you know if you put on your product manager hat rather than the hat of the host, what 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 problem are you solving out there for the user and and, and like what, what is your goal uh with the podcast?
0: That is a really interesting question. It's definitely a new one, haven't heard that one before. Sure. Um so you're right. And I do approach this as a product rather than I'm a host, you're a guest. Let's talk about things, uh, because inevitably I have to, because of the nature of my own work, uh, it's, an occupational hazard, if you will. Sure. Um, I, um, I had a couple of businesses before and, um, my major responsibility in my current role is go to market for the products that i'm working with it's not necessarily developing of the products it's going to market with uh either the current version of the prototype or the mvp and then based on how market responds continue the product discovery, continue the product development so having said that uh as the product manager of my own podcast uh i am trying to go to market uh my current problem the uh, if, if you're familiar with one metric that matters uh, mm. my current metric that I care about is adoption. I need more people to listen to it. So that's, that's what I'm doing. Mm. I'm trying to build up on two things. I'm trying to build up on the content, uh having more content because, uh, one thing with podcasts is it's not live translated, it transmit, it's not live broadcast. So you don't have to be in front of your TV or in front of your radio at a specific hour. True. And everybody can listen to any episode. They can, they can, they don't have to start with episode one. They don't have to start with the latest episode. They can start with episode number five and then go to twelve and then go to one. So every episode is uh, it, it's a little different from episodes in your favorite uh, sitcom or your favorite sure. TV series. Every episode has to stand on its own uh, on its own two legs. Interesting and uh, and and uh, so that's the content front it you know expanding on content having interesting episodes by themselves is is important and the second part is expanding into as many platforms as possible unfortunately i can't do live videos i can't do videos you know with my talking head and 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 a guest talking head right uh, because not everybody's equipped and and people don't necessarily want to be seen Hmm. Uh, so it's a challenge i sometimes i talk to people who don't want to be seen Sometimes I talk to people who do want to be seen but they don't have necessary capabilities. Uh mm-hmm. even you know if rec- even just recording the uh, audio stream is challenging, think about recording the video stream. <laughs> uh so uh, I'm I'm trying to kind of sidestep those things and still expand into video platforms like YouTube and others. Mainly trying to get to YouTube right now. So oh, I, I started the channel on YouTube, I started posting episodes there with just you know plain visualizations, but at least now you can listen to uh, these podcasts on YouTube as well. So and again, since this is not my full time job, I only have so many hours I can dedicate to uh, producing, uh, getting the guests on, uh, having the actual interview, then uh, post-production, uh, producing the episode uh, creating all the necessary meta work around it and then posting it all over the place. Mm. So, um, you know, with, I'm, I'm, working with what I have. I, I don't think I'm doing everything I should be doing it just because I don't, I'll, I'll lack enough time and knowledge, but as I keep working through this, mm. iterative approach to product development, uh, <laughs> I'm sure, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'll get there. Yeah. Because I like the topic, I like doing what I'm doing. I like uh, product management as uh, as both science and art. I keep mm-hmm. saying this: the product management is much science as it is art. So you can't just go and get MBA and become a product manager, <laughs> become a, a solid product manager. True. Uh, yes, you do need education. Yes, you do need to learn as much as you can. But you also need to have real world experience making things happen in whatever branch of you know responsibilities. Uh, before you can really become a, a a good product manager,
1: so absolutely,
0: yeah, that's that's. Uh, thank you for the question. That was good, and that's that's the answer.
1: Brilliant! Thank you for 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 sharing your answer.
0: All right, thank you so much. Uh, we're slightly over time. I don't think it's a problem. Uh, thank you very much for uh, being a guest, such an awesome guest on the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Vlad. Pleasure.
0: Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much and uh, see you soon.
1: See you. Bye.
0: You've been listening to the real world product management, and I've been your host, Vlad Grubman. Until the next time. <laughs>